whenever there is a blue sky uh, and I teach, then I can, can't help myself to remind us that the sky is a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful symbol for what we are actually exploring within the Buddhist tradition. So when we now sit in silence, if that feels good for you and if it if it's supportive, you can kind of reach out in your awareness and maybe you remember particularly this morning when you stepped out and you record you, you, you saw that, that there was this clear blue sky and the air was fresh. Yesterday I said that for me the Buddhist tradition at its heart is a mystic tradition. What I mean with that is that within the Buddhist tradition there's a certain experience transmitted. A very precise experience. It's not like Vishivashi Mambo Jambo. <laughs> it's very precise. It's the same experience the Buddha had, Milarepa had, the Dalai Lama has, and uh, um, many teachers, and for me it makes sense, feel that it's the same mystic tradition which is being transmitted in all spiritual traditions just in different words, just in different myths, packed in different stories, uh, being expressed through different songs, through different poems, through different texts. And sometimes it's, we, we lose that because we see all the books and all the scriptures and we feel, oh, there's so much to learn and so much to read and so much to do. But the the real thing is very simple and very close. You shouldn't forget that. And the next verses which we will explore today, so we will start with the three verses about emptiness and then the six verses about the six far-reaching attitudes. They are actually all about that. They are, they are invitation to a deep inquiry, a deep looking. And what we basically follow or what we are basically curious about is one thing. And that is, what is experiencing this? 
Look. If you would understand what I just said, if you have a sense of what what this question is pointing to, what is experiencing this? Not now like you know, the brain and thinking and philosophy, what is consciousness, blah, 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 reading a book, 800 pages about what is consciousness, not like this. <laughs> but by direct <coughs> looking. So, and when you read the commentary of Ken McLeod, in each of the commentaries to this uh, nine verses, this question, he asked this question. So, what is experiencing this? If you can ask that question in a in a supportive way and it makes you pause it makes you wonder it makes you losing yourself it makes you losing yourself yourself What do you see? So all our practices, all the other practices, which are really precious and we, are, we, will con we will continue to do them until we really can rest in what this question I just said is pointing to, until we can really rest in that, as that. We have to do all the other practices, but all the other practices they are provisional, they are, they are practices of supporting us to really genuinely ask that question and rest there. So don't worry if now you feel what, what a bullshit, you know, I don't know what he means, I have no idea. It's fine. It's fine. Of course, then I could ask, what is thinking? This is all bullshit. Then I could ask, where are 
these thoughts? Where do they come from? Where do they dissolve into? This is all bullshit. I'm so confused. I I don't get it. What is experiencing this? Are you aware that you're confused? Yes, I'm aware that I'm really confused. I don't know what he is talking about. I'm really aware of that. But what is aware? What is aware of being really confused and not not being able to answer this question? What is aware? (coughs) Now, not going to the book about consciousness and brain science and neuroscience and stuff like that. Not going there. No, this is like... No, this is like... You have to taste the apple. Don't read the books about what apples are. <laughs> and you are perfectly equipped to, uh, uh, to use your mind to look into awareness itself. You're perfectly equipped to do that. But it's, it's a bit like... It's a bit unfamiliar. It's not what we usually do because we are so fascinated with the content of our experience. So that seems to be all there is, the content of our experience. Thoughts, sensations, feelings, and so on and so on. So we are more, we are interested in the content of our thoughts, but we are not interested in what is doing the thinking. We are interested in the clouds. But now, in these verses, again and again, we are invited to look into the sky. Look, there's the sky. Don't give up on this. If I, if I can't, can't make it clear to you, because I somehow my expressions are not resonating, then find someone who can who can transmit this to you. <coughs> this is the one point you need to get on the Buddhist path. This is what makes the six far-reaching attitudes far-reaching. This is what makes, for example, the practice of generosity, uh, how does it become the perfection of generosity is by deeply experiencing there is neither someone there who gives, (laughs) nor is there a real solid giving, nor is there a real solid person you give to. And then your giving becomes spontaneous then your giving is free of all strings. Then your giving is spontaneously and no big deal because there's nobody who gives and there's no gift being given and there's no person, no, no other who receives the gift. And still there's giving. No strings attached. That's the perfection of giving. <laughs> the other giving is, of course, that's nice, yeah? Like the giving which makes us feel good and where we kind of hope that we get something back and at least some praise. Th- that's good. I mean, 
we ha- we need to have this kind of giving, but but that's not the perfection of giving. And the true, the same is true for all the other six perfections. Buddha is very close. Buddha, Buddha. Buddha is very close. How do you find Buddha? By following, by leaning into that question, what is experiencing this? Okay, so let's sit with it, with this for 10-15 minutes. So if you take a few moments to adjust your posture, so you relax into a posture which uh, supports this uh, letting go of unnecessary attention. So it's a kind of sliding. So there is it's not like now we start to meditate and all becomes serious. It's just like maybe you can use my image yes from yesterday that it is like going to the beach. It would would be wonderful today to I me mean, it's much better to sit here, but it would be also <laughs> wonderful to to go to the beach today, right? And just to sit down. Maybe maybe it would be actually more helpful. Uh, in terms of uh, openness, in terms of dissolving unnecessary tension. So, a bit me- like see meditation like that. So, you just sit down and your body settles. There's a shift from the busyness, from the doing. And you can sit with open or closed eyes. So it depends really on what supports you in letting go and letting be. And then with the next in-breath, you slide into your body, into your feet. And then with the out-breath, it might be possible to let go of some of the unnecessary tension, some of the effort.
I'm breathing in and touching the belly. Softening with the out breath. shoulders maybe also there you can let go a bit with the out breath is there any rigidity in your posture We'll see if you can become a bit more flexible, like a tree, which has strong roots, but can also move with the wind. is alive. And then your hands. Can you soften, relax the hands? And if you do that, maybe you can appreciate how your whole body can soften a little bit more, a little tiny bit. There's nothing stiff about the meditation posture, nothing harsh. It's moving, it's breathing, it's energy. face, the chewing muscles, your mouth, the area around the eyebrows and the forehead.
And then with the next in-breath, the whole body, from the toes to the top of your head. And then, if it makes sense to you and it feels good, I invite you to feel the presence of the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, the Kamapa, Tara, Jesus, whatever, whoever is for you an embodiment of kindness or freedom and allow yourself to feel this compassionate presence as if you're sitting in the sun so now we are not sitting only at the beach with an open heart and open mind but we're also bathing in the sun. The whole body. So not only from the front, but also from the side and behind. Every cell of your body from the toes to the top of your head. The loving gaze, the smile. a little prayer and saying please meet me even in my darkest places please meet me even in my darkest places breathing then if you feel the presence of some people around you then you dissolve them their presence fills your body completely. And just rest in that openness.
be like the sky. Neither rejecting nor clinging to anything. like the sky, like the earth. Neither rejecting nor clinging. And you rest right there. And when you notice that you are entangled with the commentary, with the inner dialogue, and you drop back into your hands, into your belly, and then you slide again into panoramic awareness. Neither clinging nor rejecting. returning, returning and resting. So whatever is in the foreground of your experiences now, 
pleasant or unpleasant. Neither rejecting nor clinging. But isn't there also space? the sounds of this voice and the sounds of outside, neither rejecting nor clinging. But isn't there also space? Look into that space. What do you see? sensations in your body probably there is some discomfort by now because we are already sitting for a while neither rejecting nor clinging and isn't there also space When you look into that space, what do you see? And here looking does not mean looking with your eyes. So I could also say listening into that space or feeling into that space. Isn't there space? And if you look into that space, what do you see? It's a bit like there's the surface of the ocean, the waves. That's the sounds and sensations, this voice. And now I invite you to look into the depths, into your own vastness. into eternity and infinity.
And then when you get entangled by trying to think about the space or by trying to think about something else, then you drop back into your hands, into your belly, stabilizing yourself. And then maybe you can use the sky again as a way to open then you go deeper, faster. So there's the sounds. experiencing these sounds. beneath, beyond, into the space, into the stillness. Maybe stillness is a better word for you. Listen to the stillness, listen to the mighty stillness from which this voice comes and in which, is, and in which it is being heard. Listen to that stillness. It's this voice, but isn't there also a stillness in which it can travel? Look into that. What do you see? What do you hear? Deeper. Faster. boundaryless and centerless. Even a tram can travel through without disturbing it.
So the same is with your thoughts. <coughs> the stream of thoughts. The next thought which you are going to have, where will it come from? Look there, look. The next thought you are going to have, where will it come from? Look there. Look beneath, beyond your thoughts. Can you see there's space? And the next thought you're going to have, where will it come from? Look there. So one thing which is important for you in order to do this meditation is that you have already accomplished a certain sense of stability. So if you now had the feeling it was just chaotic and it was full and there was no... then the reason for that is that you have not um, cultivated the sufficient stability for doing this kind of meditation. So without um, you know, being a fanatical uh, follower of the shamatha, you know, focus, concentration, um, not like that, but a certain, no, a certain capacity to settle. And... Uh, and this is something you can do only if you meditate. It's something you know. The only way to uh, uh, to cultivate that, to, ex to 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 find that, is practice, practice, practice. We don't need to you know, be a master in concentration or focus. It's, you know, if you, you have these nine stages of um, shamatha, you know, if you are like the, in the second, third stage, that's, that's enough for this kind of inquiry. What is, uh, what is important in uh, cultivating this stability is not to do it forcefully. So that's why I don't talk so much about it, because then people get into this kind of meditation, this kind of concentration meditation.
it's something which you can So if you become curious about the object which you use to cultivate stability, if you if you if you like it, then it's quite easy to develop a certain stability. Now if you are a bit fascinated by it, for example, the breath. Now that's one of the objects which is used in the Buddhist tradition a lot to develop this capacity. If you become curious about the breath, if you fall fall in love with the feeling of aliveness in the breath, if you be if you become fascinated by the breath, then developing shamatha is a piece of cake because ah, it's beautiful. It's like looking at someone you're in love with, and she's so beautiful and so. Fun. I mean, you're not you don't need to force yourself to be present there because you like the object. So don't be afraid of this uh, <coughs> this part uh, about cultivating uh, stability. It can be a, 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 a joyful journey. Of so that's one thing. The second is uh, there needs to be a, like a, <coughs> a sense of devotion. <coughs> a sense of love a softness like an openness in the Tibetan tradition it's the devotion to the teacher the devotion to the Buddha the devotion to Tara it's like this you go down onto your knees and you're open. You're open. And what you're open to is not, it's not worshipping something outside of you. What you're open to is Buddha. The Buddha inside. It's like this, uh, it's, it's like the moisture or the, for, for this kind of practices. No, it, it lifts you up. It gives you the energy necessary for doing these practices. No, if you're sitting there, you're half asleep, no joy in the practice, no passion for this question, then not much will happen. <coughs> no, Tongmi uh, Sampo in the in the in the in the first on uh, joyous effort. He says, you need to practice as if your hair is on fire. <laughs> so this is not like, it's not a good image, I think, because it, it has this kind of, uh, it's like panic, you know. <laughs> but this, kind of joy, uh, this kind of energy is not panic. But, but it's like, uh, it's, it, no, it's, it's, it's energetic. So that's also... You know, how can you bring that into your practice? No? Through taking care of your body, taking care of your diet, taking care that you exercise enough, that you practice in nice places, that you maybe do these kind of practices outside. 
This is a very good practice for outside, you know, the practice of sky gazing, the practice of ocean gazing. So very good for that. So you need to lift yourself up. A little bit. Tiny little bit. And then you uh, then you read this this for example the commentary of Ken Mock Lloyd to the verses. You read it again and again. You bring this you bring this book to the uh, to the beach and then you read. <laughs> you read again and again this what is experiencing this? What is he meaning with this? And then he says something there and then what what does it what is experiencing this? Yeah, so you Don't give up on this. And then if, if he can't uh, uh, point you to that, then use someone else. It helps if you really like that person. Because this is something which has been given from teachers to student, and then you know, down the like the student is also then the teacher. I don't know why it is, but this is really something which happens between people. It's a relation. It's something which happens within a relationship. I mean, not. It does not mean that this needs to be like a personal relationship that you need to talk with this person about your problems or something like that. But it can be the relationship to the Dalai Lama. I mean. You, you're not going to talk. You know, you're not. You will not be able to talk to the Dalai Lama in that way. But you can have a very deep relationship with the Dalai Lama. So what is experiencing this? Getting a sense of how you look. What do you see? Nothing.
this nothing blows your mind. Peace, it's love, it's connectedness. All good comes from that nothing. All benefit comes from that nothing. So let's um, start with the verses. <coughs> it's one page, so I, I only copied the verses which uh, we will use this weekend. Then uh, we have a break soon, so So the first 22, 23 and 24, these are the verses uh, about emptiness. And one way to uh, talk about emptiness is to, to talk about uh, what is called the twofold emptiness. 
twofold emptiness, which refers to the emptiness of the person and the emptiness of the outer objects. And the first verse, the 22, is uh, the exploring the emptiness of the I, of the self. And the other two verses are about the objects. Nice objects, difficult objects. So let's read the 22nd verse. Whatever arises in experience is your own mind. Mind itself is free of any conceptual limitation. Know that and don't generate subject-object fixations. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So the first, <laughs> the first line of this verse, this is really something... Uh, to check out in our own meditation. Whatever arises in experience is your own mind. Whatever arises in your experience is your own mind. <coughs> Do you think you have ever experienced something outside of your mind? Let's try that. <laughs> Let's try now to experience something outside of our mind, like the sun. So this is something to to ponder about or to to laugh about or to wonder about to wonder about you know sitting in your meditation and where's this experience happening where's where am I experiencing this like for example since we are so visual it's it's a bit easier with sounds, I think. With 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 sight, we are very easily fooled in this <laughs> in this sense that we are looking at the world out there. We are easily fooled. But of course, what we see is mental images and mental holograms in our frontal cortex. We never see a world out there. I mean, it's not like our eyes are like some cameras where a picture is like traveling into, and then, yeah, it's not like that. You're not seeing a world out there. What you see, what, what you work with just now, is a mental image in your frontal cortex. Something in your mind. Something in consciousness. What you see is a movement in consciousness. An appearance in your mind. 
an appearance and consciousness. It's a bit easier to have a taste of this with sounds. Yeah? So after the break we can return to that a bit. Like we can know there is like wow, this tram are out there. You know, is it really out there? Where am I experiencing the tram? And then you can have a, a real sense, wow, it's happening in the same place where are my feelings. It's happening in the same place where there's sensations in my body. So, uh, just sitting and, and, and pondering, wondering about where, where am I experiencing this? The sensations, the feelings, the thoughts, the sights, the smells, the taste. Where's my experience? And you're not going to be able to answer this question. So this is the thing. This is a very important thing. All this question, what is experiencing this? Where is this experience? You're not going to be able to answer. Is it inside? Is it outside? You're not being able to... You, you, there will be not an answer. Ah, yeah, it's, it's inside. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> it's nowhere. Yeah, so, but still, it's amazing. It's nowhere, and you can't know, and you can't, you can't put your finger on where your experience is, but still there's experience. So whatever your experience is an appearance in consciousness. So from what is it made? What's the stuff of your experience? It's a bit like a dream. This moment is a bit like a dream. It, it's, it, it happens in the same place where your dreaming happens. <coughs> like w w when, when you dream, then you know the same part of your brain is active as if you see something. It's like a bit, bit like a, a dream, this moment. It, it, this, this, what you see is happening in the same in the same part of the brain as a dream and then we think it's the outside world we will ever never we will actually ever never know if there's an outside world we have not the means to look beyond the mind no, is there a world outside of mind? This question is a question within mind. And with whatever, whenever you look to answer that question, the only tool to use is mind. I come to think of limitless. Limitless, yeah. yeah. That's limitless. Limitless. She ca the, the word limitless yeah. appears. Yes. 
So, a quote of uh, um, Ken McLeod. Remember what Tongmei Sangpo says, whatever arises in experience is your own mind. In other words, what you experience is your mind. In other words, what you experience is your mind. So, um, these are all experiential instructions. So it's not not about now starting a philosophical discussion. It's really like uh, you know an invitation to uh, ex- experiment with this and m- make yourself wonder in meditation. Your mind is not a thing. It is not located anywhere. Wherever you are as you read this, look around, open to everything that you see, everything that you hear or touch, everything that you think and feel. So wherever you are as you read this, so we are here, he invites us to open to everything open to our experience. Everything we see, everything we hear, everything we feel. (coughs) And all these experiences, all that is your mind. It is a bit like a dream. Rest there for a few moments, taking it all in, a little puzzled, perhaps a little in awe. Maybe there's also some resistance, kind of. Yeah, but I'm looking at a world out there. I can see it. It's out there. It's not in. It's not mind. It's out there. It's real. It's meta. But all that is mind. <laughs> this is an experience. Yeah, the, the experience of hardness. So it's happening in mind. This is one of our major mistakes we make, that we 
belief in an independent outside world out there, independent of mind, independent of consciousness. It's one of our major mistakes to believe that there is a world which we step into as a kind of observer, which we can describe, something which is real out there, independent from a mind perceiving it. And it's for, for our awakening, it is crucial that we start to question that. And if you are scientific-oriented, uh, scientific you do it through quantum physics. If you're philosophical oriented, then read construivit constru construivit construivit <coughs> How is it called? Con Constructivism. So now, as in all the um, in all these com in all the commentaries on the com uh, on the on these verses, uh, there is this question, and I will always read it, yeah, <laughs> even if you get really tired. So this question is, what experiences all this? I, I, I experience this. So I, I is an experience. Yeah? It's an experience. I, I. What is experiencing I? Do you feel I? I experience in this. What is experiencing I? What is experiencing I experience this? It's an experience. You know, there comes maybe with a kind of tension here with a sense of, yeah, I, Stefan, I, I am experiencing this. What is experiencing this? This is actually quite <laughs> profound what I just said, because it implies that you are not the I, because you are experiencing the I. <laughs> You are not the I, you are what is experiencing the I. So the I is also just one of the things which come and go, like the other things in your experience. So you, you, you are much bigger than the I who is experiencing this. Yes? Is it time for question now? Or yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of this, this, this not is all in uh, experience in my mind but uh, the, the difference between a dream is that in uh, daytime and then I can have like ask Charlotte do you also see Stefan and she said like yes he's there and he's wearing a blue shirt mm. and then like everyone else can just come then it's like well, we help each other to keep that illusion because mm. yeah, so mm. yes. yeah yeah, the, the, the Buddhist explanation for that is called collective karma. So that 
No, if if I mean, there's probably from the Buddhist point of view. I'm not saying that I believe this, but from the Buddhist point of view, there's beings here who are not sharing the same karma. They experience this room very differently, and we kind of agree because we have some shared karma, common shared experience. Um, Yeah. Do you remember what the first sentence was you said? Is it okay to ask questions? Yeah, right. After that? Because I had a thought when you said that, but now oh, I don't. I thought that was very clear. But we have a because we experience this in, uh, in my mind, and the difference between. Yeah. In the night, because then I, I can have no one mm, else to confirm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, right, right. Mm. <coughs> yeah, okay, let, let, I'm, let's leave it here. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. one other teaching is that when you were talking about uh, like a, a worm or something, like, or a snake, and it is neat. Uh, like a big tree, and for the snake, it's not the same. They, they just see like it's material or something. They don't la label it like a tree, mm. and we can see that's like we have a different way of labeling. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's the that's this uh, uh, what I what I pointed to also by pointing to different kinds of beings, maybe being in the same space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what, is, uh, <coughs> what is the meaning we give to what appears in our mind is forced upon us uh, by our karma, by our habits, by our language, by our upbringing, by our experiences. That's why positive thinking does not really work. I, I mean, if, if, if we would uh, be able to just change the things by giving them different names, uh, but it's not as simple as that. So what experiences all this? Again, do not try to figure this out. Do not start thinking about the question. Yeah? That's, that's, how, that's why we need a certain stability. So we ask that question and just look. And then you rest there. And initially for us, it's just a short moment. It's just like, what is experiencing this? Just look there. And then there is this... <gasps> 
nothing. <coughs> what, what was the word you used? Limitless. limitless. So there is this, wow, it's, it's limitless. And with that tasting of that limitlessness incredible tenderness arises. Incredible responsibility arises. Of course, there is. Oh, I'm rather holding on to. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Then, then I know where I am and who I am, and that I have my problems. What is experiencing this is that what is experiencing this is experiencing everything. What is experiencing this is experiencing everything. What is experiencing this is experiencing the pain of everything. And the joy. If what you experience in this moment is is in your mind, then also the wars on this planet are in your mind. The joys and the pain. And, and when you open to that limitless, then, yeah, then the bodhicitta is born. It's, it's natural, it, it, it's just there. Universal responsibility is holiness, mm-hmm. says, calls that sometimes. then it's not like the planet out there, independent from your mind. It is a bit difficult at first, he says. bit difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he, he has forgotten how how he was like. Um, no, some people f- 
very quickly find, you know, have a sense of what is being pointed to. Maybe he was one of those. So it's a bit difficult at first. <laughs> and stability, stability and attention is very important here. So that's what I said. Stability and attention is important. So something it's really helpful. So if you like to do your breathing meditation every day or your walking meditation or your attention in yoga, excellent. Just continue to do that because it's, it's very helpful in, in this uh, inquiry. But after a while, you become aware of a knowing. Yeah, so that's now. So what is experiencing this? What do you see? Nothing. But now he starts to say a bit of, he says something about that nothing. And uh, one thing you can say about that nothing that limitless is you become aware of a knowing. You, be, you become aware of a presence. It would be another word. These are all words. So sometimes it's good to stick with the nothing <laughs> because th then that's like, but unless it's it sounds nihilistic, like that we are looking into the nihilistic void or something. Yeah. But one thing you can say about the nothing, which which you look into when you follow that question, what what is experiencing this, the limitless, uh, the boundaryless, is. You become aware of a knowing. And that knowing is very, very familiar. It, it has been there when you were a little girl. That knowing. It, it, it's, it remained unchanged throughout your childhood, teenage, adult, mature person, old person, dying, that knowing remains unchanged. Are you aware that you're dying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware that I'm dying. What is aware? Little child, are you aware that you're playing? Yeah, yeah, I'm aware that I'm playing. I don't know if a child could answer like this, but yeah, yeah, I'm aware. There's awareness. I know that I'm playing. What is aware? It's the same. What you're aware of changes moment by moment. So if you if you go through your life, you, know, you look at pictures in your life, different periods, you know, you as a young woman getting married, going to school, going to kindergarten. There is something like a taste, a presence, 
which remains undisturbed, which stayed the same, like your essence. A very deep feeling of I amness. So all these words I'm saying now, they are kind of, you know, possibilities uh, to direct us into the direction which we are looking to. And so don't think so much about it. It's more like, okay, so does it, does, it, does it support you in connecting with the limitless, with the boundaryless, with eternity, with that which is that which is not disturbed by the comings and goings. Then he says, it is clear like water. Maybe you, you know the, the, the definition from the Buddhist psychology of what is mind. No? From, from the from these teachings, uh, and the, they, when, then they give the when they give the, the definition, they say it is clear and knowing. That's what mind is. So clear is like clear is pointing to that that it is that that it is nothing. That, that it has no characteristics. It's not, not something which you can point, which you can, you know, something which you can touch or something which has a color or something which has anything to it. So even if you say it has the knowing to it, it's a bit too much almost already. That is your Buddha nature. What we are talking about here, one of the names that carries is Buddha nature or ultimate bodhicitta or emptiness of your mind or the nature of your mind, primordial awareness, non-dual awareness, many different names, Rikpa in Tibetan, Yeshe is another name, Öse, the clear light mind. It is a bit like a mirror. You do not see the mirror itself, you just see, see the reflections in it. So, the mirror uh, metaphor, that could be helpful maybe for you. So, a mirror, and then there's the reflection. So the reflections in the mirror is the thoughts, feelings, sensations and sounds, this experience. But in order for the reflections to appear, there needs to be a mirror. So now we become, we look into the mirror. So what do we see? Nothing. And the mirror remains undisturbed. 
There's the coming and going, the different reflections. So that there is reflections in the mirror <coughs> proves that there needs to be a mirror. So now we're looking into the mirror. We're looking into the space in which your experience comes and goes. Thoughts, feelings and sensory sensation arise without arise without restrictions. Yet when you look for the mind itself, there's nothing there. Thoughts and feelings and sensations <coughs> arise within mind, within awareness. Otherwise you wouldn't know them. But then if you look for mind itself, there's nothing there. Now, again, remember when I say there's nothing there, it's a very special nothing. Nobody ever in, in human history regretted to look into that nothing or find that nothing. To the opposite. A lot of art, a lot of music, a lot of poems came out of that experience of that nothing. So clear could be the same as empty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Formless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then at the end of this um, commentary for, the, for this verse, he says that uh, initially for us in the beginning, this, uh, we are taught this is short moments. Short moments. And then the normal subject, object, sense of experiencing arises again. So short moments repeated again and again. 
until they become continuous. So short moments means maybe you feel criticized. What is experiencing this? What is, be, what is feeling criticized? So pausing, not finding, resting. Slowly, slowly you get to you get to you familiarize yourself. Slowly, slowly you can more and more easily step out of the entanglement into that what you really are. To shift your sense of identification from the content of your experience, from the I-thought to that which is aware. You are not that with what you're experiencing. You are not that which you are aware of, right? Because you are what is looking. Yeah? I don't know how to say it. Experiencer? You are not what you are experiencing. You are that which is experiencing. You are that which is looking. And I do like this because, you know, all this is being experienced by me. I mean, <coughs> you're much bigger than what you think you are. the limitless. So short moment 
short moments, experiencing those short moments uh, repeated again and again until they become continuous. So it's it's a different kind of practice than building up to something and then being there. No? It's like Buddha moment, crumble. Buddha moment, crumble. Buddha moment, and something happens, you lose it, and then, oh, what is experiencing this? Not finding it, not knowing it. Pause. The mind stops, the conceptual mind stops. But when the conceptual mind stops, there is not nothing. Just stops thinking for a moment. Just stop thinking, yeah? Okay. So you stop thinking now. <laughs> That's it. Know that when you stop thinking, it's not that there's nothing there. It's 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 almost nothing. <laughs> this is your Buddha nature. When you stop thinking, and there's a gap and you experience the limitless, that's your Buddha nature. Okay, so let's have a break. So let's sit quietly for a few minutes to stabilize again. check in so you adjust your posture letting go of rigidity and effort shifting from being in the head to resting in the body If you can let go of some of the tension, some of the effort by softening the belly and the shoulders. The face. So it's sliding into being here. into your hands, feeling the aliveness in your hands. How are you doing? How is it for you to be here just now? 
neither rejecting nor clinging. Then when you notice you try to get something or you try to get rid of something, as best as you can, loosen that grip. Just being aware of what is happening. Quite quickly you can appreciate the stillness which arises when we sit quietly together. The space which arises when we sit quietly together. That which is bigger. you are familiar with the mighty stillness which comes with the presence of the Dalai Lama or other teachers, maybe you can recognize that a bit. There is a kind of the same flavor here. The mighty stillness, the compassionate presence. So you're not, you don't need to calm down, you don't need to feel more peaceful. Just listen to the stillness which is always there. Just relax into the space which is always there.
And when you find yourself entangled, no big deal. And then the possibility to drop back into your hands, into your belly. And then if possible to open to a more panoramic awareness where you become like the sky, neither clinging nor rejecting, allowing this moment to be what it is. Allowing yourself, feeling what you're feeling, thinking what you're thinking, hearing what you're hearing, no clinging, no rejection. Experience just now is an appearance in your mind, just like a dream. Whatever you experience right now is movement of consciousness. These appearances in your mind are without any substance. They are insubstantial. Like a rainbow. sensations in your body, thoughts, feelings, sounds, appearances in your mind without substance, like a rainbow.
turning, resting. Short moments of the limitless, the boundaryless, the centerless. the sky. For this kind of meditation, it is good to be well rested. So we all, you need to sleep more. you are doing retreat then you know maybe you can do three weeks and then two weeks you rest go for walks and eat well and sleep a lot 
because then maybe you can also uh, meditate with lying down without falling asleep. so helpful in this uh, in this kind of I mean relaxation is really the foundation for any kind of meditation but even more so in this kind of meditation so it's that's why it's good to do it also outside, just like sitting on a bench and looking into the sky or so this kind of really like just being sky gazing, beach gazing. So let's um, short moments, short moments repeated again and again. You sit down, you know, you go for a walk, walking the talk, you sit down, you sit in the sun, you relax, you open into the sky, and you open to the limitless. So let's look at the first. So far, we have talked about the first line. (laughs) 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 Uh, First, I thought when I came for this weekend, I thought, this is not enough verses. The, I'm, I'm going to run out in the in the fir, in the first morning. <laughs> but now I, I I get a sense that it is enough because we have covered the first line. <laughs> mind itself is free of any conceptual limitation. So mind itself here. Is another of the many placeholders of many of the many uh, code words for mind essence or the nature of mind or the emptiness of mind or non-dual awareness or primordial consciousness or ultimate bodhicitta. So that's what mind itself means. Yeah. So when, when you, you read uh, words like awareness or awareness itself or mind or mind itself, <coughs> you need to uh, get a sense of what is being meant because people use it in different, they, like, they mean different things. Like some people when they say mind, what they're referring to is the conceptual level, the conditioned level, you know, that which is moving, that what is changing, the con- content. That's what they call mind. And when they say awareness... Then they are talking about mind itself or the essence of mind. So it depends a bit on the traditions and how people use these words. It's more precise in the Tibetan language because they have very precise words for Sem, Rigpa, Yeshe, Ösel, and it's there's a precise definition of what is meant. 
But when we use consciousness, mind, awareness, uh, what is it referring to? Which dimension of mind are we referring to when we use these words? So when, when he says here, mind itself, that's rigpa, innermost awareness. is free of any conceptual limitation. So in any conceptual limitation, so that's pointing to this challenge we have that what we're exploring here is something which is beyond concepts. So our conceptual mind will not grasp what is being transmitted. We, in other words, we are not going to understand It's very humbling to try to talk about mind itself. It's very humbling. Because it's like... Oh, I pack my things and stop this. You know. It's like, it's impossible to talk about this. And it is. So, and that's what Ken McLeod is pointing out to a few times in his commentary, when this kind of question, what is experiencing this, you know, the knowing, the clear, the clarity, uh, when this kind of question, this self-inquiry questions, trigger conceptual thinking, then you are not on the right track. Then this kind of question might not be the right door for you. If this is all what happens. Like you get this question, oh, who is experiencing this? Who am I? What is experiencing this? And then you go to the library. Yeah, brain and, you know, the and so on and so on and blah, blah. Yeah, so then, then that's a, that's a, that's an indication that oh maybe maybe this is not you know maybe this is not how this is being opened for me so maybe it's more being in nature and using a word like space or stillness so mind itself is free of any conceptual limitation that's also like no, in the Mahamudra tradition, one instruction they have there is uh, become aware of the gap between thoughts. So, the gap between thoughts. That's like when I say, stop thinking, just stop thinking for a moment. And then, what is there then? So that's that pause, that gap, where you can breathe into the limitless. So now again here, that's, that, that is not... If you have not trained, then there might be a sense there is never a gap between the thoughts. So in order for being to look into the gap of 
the gap between thoughts, there needs to be already a bit of a slowing down. And if that's not happening, then it's it's better to say, look beyond the thoughts, look beneath the thoughts, beyond. Look through them. Or imagine, kind of, imagine, oh, if there would be a gap, what would be there? Know that. Yeah, know that. And don't generate subject-object fixations. Sub Subject-object. I, the subject of fixation, the, the identification with the I, the identification with the I thought, it's the subject uh, fixation, the, what is uh, called ego grasping in the teachings, ego grasping, the identification with the I, the identification with the sense of I, no, there is a sense of I arising within awareness and then we identify with it. And we believe that's who I am, that sense of I that sense of center. So that's the subject of uh, ob objectification and then the trouble starts because I, the subject objectification, <laughs> makes, it possible, makes it possible to say this really nasty word is really this big troublemaker Four, four letters. <laughs> four letters. M. Mine. Mine. I. Subject, subject objectification. Mine. And then suddenly, a problem is not only a problem. It's mine. <laughs> then the feeling is not just a feeling coming and going. It's mine. Then a the thought is not just a thought coming and going. It's mine. So that's the subject and object fixation. And both is conceptual. Both is a mental process. A mental process of the conditioned mind. In other words, it's made up. It's, it's something extra. It's something we put onto a process. Onto, onto an open... Uh, uh, onto a open process. Uh, like a a process which is connected with everything. 
I and my and something we put on <coughs> to an open process, something extra. It's a mental process. of the conceptual mind. And then I and mine appears as if it's coming from there instead from here. It's coming from there. This is really mine. <laughs> yeah. The mind is coming from there. <coughs> And then I get, I start to worry. Then I become reactive. Then I become tense. So now we are at the root of suffering. The I, with the subject and object fixation, we are at the root of suffering. So, I have any questions about this first verse, which is the first about the emptiness of the. It's the first of se about selflessness. understand what you meant. It comes from mine, it comes from there, instead of, and you did like this, from the, from there, just now. And you, said, <laughs> mm -hmm. you said it comes from here, rather than, and then you, what, I'm, what did you mean? What I mean is that we forget that it is coming from us what we make out yeah, of the things, mm -hmm. okay. and then it appears, the meaning, or the ownership appears as if it's in the thing. Like, a good example is, uh, this is beauty, this is ugly. Mm. So then it appears as if beauty and ugly is in the object. Oh, okay. So it, we forget that it's coming from here. Mm -hmm. And it appears that it's coming yeah. from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is, there is no names, there is no meaning there. It's completely meaningless. Because meaning is a function of the conceptual mind. Mm 
So we respond to the meaning we give to the things. Forgetting that we are giving the meaning. We become tense about things we make up. <laughs> so now, understanding that and seeing that does not mean that we can just dissolve it because this is also a function of the <coughs> karma, of karma. So the way things appear to you, you can't just say, oh, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I have everything I need. Why? Why is that not possible? No, what, what, what is the heaviness in the things? Yeah? Like, yes, we understand. I give the meaning. I, I call it a problem, but I, I can't just... It's so heavy. It's so solid. Yeah? Why is it like that? From the Buddhist point of view, it is like that because it is forced upon us by our karma. So from the Buddhist point of view, it's not enough to say, oh, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. You actually need, need to uh, create the causes for being rich. For feeling rich. What is the causes for feeling rich is generosity. So how can you let go of the poverty mentality is to be generous. Generous, generous, generous. That's how... Not by seeing I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm surrounded by everything I need. and That's like trying to gloss over. <coughs> so let's go to the 23rd and then we have a break. And then we have the last break. So now we go into the second part of the twofold emptiness, and that's outer objects. And he starts with good things. When you come across something you enjoy, so beautiful to experience, like a summer rainbow, don't take it as real. Let go of attachment. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So what we are exploring here is the possibility to be easygoing with the difficult things in life and with the good things in life. That does not mean that we are... This does not mean that we shouldn't enjoy the good things. Actually, if you are more easygoing with the things, with, with the things you can enjoy in your life, the joy will increase. Less attachment, more joy. Because less attachment means less inattention, less inner fear, less inner uh, restlessness, which are all things which prevent us really to soak in a good moment. I mean, there's a good moment. Soak it in. Like, really soak it in. There's something beautiful. Soak it in. And then you let go.
This is a very important practice. It's, this is a very important. We, uh, this is such an important practice. So, make enjoying things <coughs> an emphasis in your practice. Do you take enough time to enjoy things? What is it? What is it? What you enjoy? Mm. Or is it like, ah, yeah, I used to like to play music, but now. You know, I need to meditate because it's just like it's so worldly to play music. That's the wrong path. That makes you. That makes you dry. You get better and better in meditation, and less and less joy, less and less life. So what is it what you enjoy? Do you uh, prioritize that? You know, and it's so different for all of us. You know, some of us enjoy to be with people, enjoy eating, enjoy touch, enjoy music. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Yeah. But for me, it was um, I used to like music but it was my attachment which is was the problem so i i needed music to always be you know for example to feel oh, oh it's so mm. nice um but the more after this uh, buddhist training it's the attachment so meaning when that produce even if i don't have the music it's okay or um so it doesn't become that i need all these things for me to be happy mm. once that relaxes then i can Mm. Yeah, just listen to a record. But even if that, if I don't have that, it's okay as well. So I think this but, is. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I train myself. I feel like even I enjoy like hot water when I shower and these kind of things. But if I train myself that I always need this mm. to be happy, mm. that's a problem. I think. Mm. For me. So it's more about the like he says here, like let go of the attachment. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. So, so that's, even if it's that, that's, it's okay. that's a good. So how do we let go of the attachment? So that's mm. that, that, that's. Oh, cold water. Hmm? Yeah, cold water. <laughs> no, that's, okay. that's okay, you know, but it's not. Good. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoy taking a shower in hot water, and I enjoy it. Yeah. I would never take it the cold. No. 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 But what happens if it does become cold? No. no. <laughs> no you don't like it. Panic. It must be hot food. And I go to the botanic so. garden and I enjoy the spring flowers. <coughs> I know they will disappear in the weeks. So I enjoy them the more. Mm. You, yeah. Else we can. Yes. You enjoy them even more. So that yes. that's. Yeah. And I Th there is a way to. Uh, to enjoy uh, knowing that things are impermanent and fleeting yes. and somehow they somehow it, you say like there's even more joy like I don't know it's like yeah it's like because you appreciate it more yes. like yeah. because I know it is going to happen yeah yes you, so you, I also know it will become new flowers some mm -hmm. flowers and I will mm -hmm. enjoy them too yeah yeah <laughs> so 
in this on this path <coughs> on the in the Tibetan tradition on the, the tantric path you you are you don't be afraid of enjoying things So, <laughs> here enjoying things means a bit also what, 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 what you now said. Enjoying things without inattention. And of course, I mean, that's the <laughs> ideal. So we become aware of the inattention and we might let go or we might take a kind of a bit of a distance. <coughs> so that we don't get too entangled. <laughs> it's like bringing together the energy of joy and space. In the traditional teachings, it's called emptiness and bliss. Mm -hmm. To bring together emptiness and bliss. To bring together the energy of joy and space. Being spacious within joy. <coughs> Because joy is an appearance in, in your mind without any substance. So be, becoming more aware of when there's grasping, when there's fear, when there's guilt, all kinds of interference with joy. Oh, I don't deserve to feel this joy. Oh, this is dangerous to feel this joy. You shouldn't feel that joy. Yeah. It's like, what, what might other people think? And I'm so joyful. Now, all kinds, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, tension And one can very good ex start to experiment with this with like flowers and beautiful people or because you know that's like different different things where you can you can explore what it means to be with joy without holding on without wanting more. 
Now the, the one of the words in the Tibetan tradition is champa for for that kind of inattention. So to become aware, when is champa arising? And it's it's going to arise, of course. So no, it's not like uh, it does not make us bad people, or so. Uh, so it's going to arise. So that's fine. If you're aware of it, it's already an amazing step. How would you define shempa, please? Shempa is sometimes translated as attachment. So it is, shempa is the inner tension which arises when we either cling and want more or we reject because we don't like it. So the inner tension, that's shempa. Mm -hmm. Why do you say inner tension? Uh, why do I say inattention? Because it's we are not clear-sighted or...? No, inattention is like... Uh, you know, someone says something, you feel criticized and you become tense inside. Inattention. Inattention? Inattention. Inner... Tension. Inner tension. I tell that. Thank you. I did yeah. it to you. Yeah. <laughs> inner, inner tension. Yeah. Inner tension. Yeah. <coughs> and with good things, it's like there is a there is a piece of cake, and there's four people. <laughs> 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 inner tension. Yeah. So joy would be something different, <laughs> uh, this kind of joy. Don't take it as real. This is, of course, a, a statement which can can <coughs> trigger some reactions. Don't take it as real. It, it, the reaction might be even stronger in the next verse when it's about difficult things. Don't take it as real. So don't take it as real does not mean, oh, it does not exist. Don't take it as real means it does not exist in the way it appears. In that way it is not real. It, it is real in the sense that you're experiencing it. Yes, in that sense it is real. It exists. It is being experienced. Is it uh, too easy to understand it as uh, don't take it as funny? That's uh, uh, that's like a um, an aspect of it, an important aspect. Um, 
But here we go deeper, so this is included in permanence, so we don't take it as real, so we don't take it as impermanent. But on top of that, we also see that the meaning we give to it is a function of the conceptual mind. So it's not only that it is impermanent, it is also not existing as that for what it is for us from its own side. It does not exist in that way. So the, it's, it's both. It's the, so the teachings on impermanence, they are here seen as a, like a stepping stone to go deeper into emptiness. But it is an important thing. Not to make a big deal out of things, because things are impermanent, mm. non-static, transitory, fluct fluctuating, changing all the time. So this too will pass. This too will pass. This, this, and this. This also. This. It's already passed. And here again, something else, and this is also already passed. Uh, this can help us not to make a big deal out of things. <coughs> okay, so then the next first, then we have covered the emptiness. So it's the same, it's talking about outer phenomena. All forms of suffering are like dreaming that your child has died. Taking confusion as real wears you out. When you run into misfortune, look at, this, look at it as confusion. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. All forms of suffering are like dreaming that your child has died. So imagine you have a nightmare. So you dream uh, that your child is sick, that your child is dying, your son, your daughter. So you have this dream. You have all the fear, all the sadness, all the responses to that event in your dream. And then you wake up. And you realize, oh, it was just a dream. What a relief. So now, the most difficult thing happening in your life, just now, the most difficult thing, well, that what you really wish wouldn't have happened or wouldn't happening just now, is like that. Like a dream that your child has died. Isn't there some resistance? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, no. Yes, this is more real. 
What are you saying? So this this first they should you know which it's like they are supposed to create these responses. Yeah, really make us think. Okay, is, is he saying is he saying that, that it doesn't matter? No, of course not. Of course he is not saying that. I mean, do you have a feeling that the Dalai Lama thinks it doesn't matter that his people? Have lost his country, their country. Uh, no, it's it's not like that. So it must be something else. Taking confusion as real wears you out. Wears me so so out. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> confusion here means ignorance, marikpa, yeah, the subject-object fixation, clinging to the I, believing in it, and clinging to the mind and believing it. So that's confusion, and it really wears me out. Makes me so tired. We're struggling all the time. We're struggling with something we make up. I think it's beautiful to struggle. I'm very provoked by this verse. I think it's a beauty in struggle. Mm -hmm. What is the beauty in struggle? You put all your force to change something and you do it mm. for all humanity, not only for yourself. Mm. You do it to change things for the better. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible to do things for all humanity and to pour out what you have to give without struggle? Without mm. suffering? I don't know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Mm. I don't know. Mm. So you feel that in order for you to give what you have to give, you need to suffer, you need to struggle. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Thinking about ghetto fighters during the war, thinking about socialists fighting for equality, yeah. motherhood, for <laughs> example. Mm -hmm. So you feel that uh, humans, w as a human, you would uh, only work out of pressure, out of struggle, out of pain. That, example, that 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 would be that is the motivation that makes pressure. people motivated. Yes, perhaps. Mm. Uh, for example, my husband died many years ago. I've been suffering a lot. And I think my suffering also was for all humanity. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I completely see that. Yes. Mm. 
Mm. Yes. I like people struggling. <laughs> I I, I yeah. like them. So you you wouldn't wish them to be free of struggle. No, because I I, I don't think you can be. I mean, if you want to change the social world, if you want to change. Yeah, but isn't there, isn't there, can't you imagine that there is another reason for wanting to change things, than pain, than struggle. Difficult. Love, compassion. Yeah. But that, that goes with the struggle too. Mm. That's also inside the struggle. Yeah. I uh, think of four noble truths. The first one is suffering. To know. To know, yes. Suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So. But you don't you don't see any reason for uh, becoming free of struggle. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. Yeah, but as a permanent so, so uh, um, existence, I don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you you don't you don't think that it is possible to be free of struggle? Not uh, permanently. No. Mm. Sometimes, for some moments. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. Mm. We all know that. Mm. I I come. That's part of the of our path, of course, of uh, of the development of compassion is to work with the struggle we have, but. It is, of course, part of the Buddhist teachings that we understand that it is possible to be free of struggle. Because we see the reason, we start to see the reasons of struggle. As long as we struggle, we practice what you say, we see it as something nurturing our growth, nurturing, nurturing our wisdom, nurturing our compassion. <coughs> I mean... But still, the, 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 the inspiration or the direction in the, in the Buddhist tradition is to not only for yourself to free yourself from struggle, but to, feel, to, to lead all other beings out of struggle. And I don't know if that is possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can there be two levels in this verse? Mm -hmm. I think it might be if my child really is dying, it is no confusion. It is really suffering. But if I am constantly worrying about my child to have an accident and blah, 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 then it is uh, confusion. Mm -hmm. The real level is that what is happening, yes. that that's what is happening. Your your child is dying. Yes. The confusion is 
the constant worry about the, yeah the constant yeah mm. so the suffering arises to the way you are in that situation no if my What? child is dying I am suffering yeah, yes that's real yeah that's if real if I sit in my home and think oh maybe she will have an accident maybe she will mm -hmm. need so some mystery or fortune yeah but yes that's, uh, so, that's but, but, uh, so the, 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 you say if the if your child is not dying and you have all these worries. Yes. Yeah. So what is now when your child is dying? Yes. It is suffering. It is suffering. So what would it mean to be with your child is dying but without being in that situation without confusion? More suffering. More suffering. More pain. More pain. Yes, I think so. <coughs> How would there be more pain? Well, if my child is dying at the hospital and uh, and I'm suffering, but if I really can take in what is happening, it is more suffering because I, my mind is trying to find a way out. Maybe mm. the doctors will fix something. Mm. Maybe she will become a, a Buddha in next life. I can mm. imagine many things. Mm. It isn't my suffering, my pain. But if I see it as it is, it's very much, much more pain. Because I want to run out of that pain. Yeah. With confusion. Yeah. If I don't do it, it is more Mo pain. More pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you prefer? I do my best. <laughs> mm. But it says has died, not dying. Okay. <coughs> has died. Yeah. Has died. Is it not about the future? This means? Yes. The future, the confusion about what is. Uh, no, not I think. Being born or dying? No, I think it's about. Uh, it's an example of intense, intense suffering. Oh. I mean, this is like. This is. The most unimaginable which can happen to a mother or mm. to a father, that the child is dying. So it is using an extreme example like that uh, to, uh, to uh, make us explore might there be different ways to be with the unimaginable, mm. with the trage tragedy different way which does not mean to be free of pain but is there can we imagine a way to be in this situation without confusion Thank mm -hmm. you.
Yes. I don't know if I should tell this, but when my husband, um, how should I say, was dying, which we didn't know because he was getting better, mm. I was in the woods uh, behind the hospital, the hospital, and suddenly I heard my lama telling me <laughs> in my conscience mm. uh, that your husband will die soon. And at that moment I knew it was the truth and I wasn't afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a bit emotional. Sure. But I it was like a clear insight and that's it. I accepted it. Even. Yeah. I didn't cry. Yeah. I knew it was the truth. Some sort of universal law. And some days some days after the doctor called for me and said uh, you have to know this is the end. I said I already know. Mm -hmm. So for me, perhaps this this moment was exactly. without confusion. Exactly. But I couldn't yes. keep it, of course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That was a moment of that was no. But that was a moment without confusion. Yes. yes. A moment without confusion in, in probably one of the most difficult experiences you have had in your life. And you said, and I was not afraid. Okay, so let's have a break. <laughs>